what? That's very good. You're asking for trouble there, though. I don't you? want to get coffee on my uh, microphone. So hang on, it's a, it, it's a Star Wars Christmas jumper. Yeah. Okay. Was it bought for you, or did you make it yourself? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Gemma and I. I love the idea that he would sit there and knit himself a Christmas jumper. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him, though, would I you? I can imagine Hugh knitting. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. He's got uh, one of those faces, hasn't he? Yeah, knitty. Yeah. yeah. Knitty face. He doesn't have any. Likes any. a bit of needle. <laughs> <laughs> I just realised you've got. I thought it was like a captain's armband you had on it, but it, it's not. That's some kind of. That's a TIE fighter, I believe. Is it a TIE fighter? No, it's that? not. What is that? Well, is that the Death Star? Uh, no, this, on this arm, it is the signal for the rebellion. On this arm, it's the signal for the. Actually, the other way around. That's the signal for the empire the sign of the empire this is the sign of the rebellion oh. you educate you're educating us on star wars aren't you i feel generally that that you shouldn't wear things that look like armbands with political symbols on yeah. them i think it's it's a dangerous road to go yeah. down to be honest would you, would you say that they are political or would you say you that do they look are like a, a christmas just, suffragette just to be fi- fair fictional should we change to some railings <laughs> that's an idea yeah, yeah just yeah. leave him there yeah. What are you done, are you done texting now, Stephen? Are you happy for us to start? I, I've, I've, I'm getting some really useful information via text okay, well, ahead of this, this pod recording. Breaking so news, it's, it's everybody. Relevant. Mm-hmm. It's relevant. Um, well, we'll make, sure, we'll make sure to use it. Chinch, I need to make a point. So Chinch has always, has always told us that his dog Lola is some sort of crazed maniac. Hello, Lola. That's the impression I've been given. Yes. But Lola is out sort of wandering around today, and Lola is lovely. She is. She is a delight. We have wow. been told that she would savages as yeah. soon as look at us. Yeah, but, I'm, I was quite frightened of yeah. her. But savages through enthusiasm, not through anger. No, I said that to keep you away from my home. <laughs> <laughs> but it can only work for so long. If you want to keep us away from your home, yeah. you, then you need to stop Nikki providing such exceptional food. That's true. That's a good point. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. We're just going to keep coming back. Start, you, no one has a, a first course, a starter for breakfast, but we do in Woodford. It's we incredible. Do. Uh, this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food as we enter a time of year that for many is all about friends, food and football. And let's not forget giving too. So over the next three weeks, we are giving to you, our fine listeners, another one of our multi-part special series. And that's because for the four of us, football and food are much more important than spending time with our friends. Uh, also, we've been teasing it almost since last Christmas, so we thought we'd better deliver. Behold, everyone, Set Piece Menu's discussion on the media. Uh, before we get started, let's introduce you to the team who are alongside me, Hugh Ferris, Andy Hinchcliffe, who has a Christmas card. Thank you. Uh, Steve Wyeth, who has a Christmas card. Yeah, you will get one eventually. And Rory Smith, who has a Christmas card. This reminds me that I was meant to bring to to you thank you cards for your, your very kind gifts for baby Edward, but I forgot. That's also something I've not yet delivered, though. to be able to I've not yet delivered Edward's arrival gift. So you better not give me a thank you, you card. You've given yet. us more than enough already. Well, just your wisdom. Yeah, but I, I feel <laughs> I feel like there's, there are further contributions to be made. Well, that's 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 far too generous. We had him measured, and we were told that he is in the 99th percentile. Although the nurse did say centile, and I I had to really 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 <laughs> not correct her. Um, the 99th percentile for height, which, if my understanding is correct, means that of every hundred babies born, he's the second tallest. Is that what that means? Yeah. So I want to know. Who's the giant? Who's the kid who's bigger than Edward? What's find his, what's, them. What's his problem? Data protection. You'll never find out. What's his Big problem? Big Josh. Well, he's that down. guy's real dad. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. So you've not given him anything. Not yet. He's thanking you for something that you no, haven't yet done. Katie, Steve's partner, gave us yes. uh, a sling and a shawl. Which, Does that which, technically as count as, as, far as we As far as we are concerned, more than counts as a gift. Right. But it's monetary value is just zero, just yes. to be clear. Right. 
Uh, so you bring those cards along with that Tupperware you uh, you owe me at some point. Um, there's the been a problem with that Tupperware. <laughs> there's always a problem with Tupperware. <laughs> it's Hector Melted, to get it, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to put it in Hector's crate uh, overnight, <laughs> and, and, he, and he ate half of it. That is so disrespectful. They always Tupperware. say the Whittington Smith is a Bermuda Triangle for Lent Tupperware. Uh, we have been enjoying nothing out of Tupperware, out of delightful cocktail glasses. The first course in our triumvirate of Christmas breakfast courses, um, granola, um, which Nikki said is essentially to make us feel better about what's to come, yes. uh, which we will reveal a little bit more about uh, later on. Uh, thank you to everybody who's got in touch um, over the last few weeks uh, at Set Piece Menu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Particularly grateful, actually, at this time of the year for all those who have recommended us to others and those who have left reviews on iTunes as well. They are as warmly received as they are complimentary. So thank you. And at the risk of being cheeky, a few more for Christmas would be uh, just super dry. So then, without further ado, and there has been a lot of ado, uh, we've often curtailed some of our conversations when they've gone down a path that we'd um, have preferred to keep untrodden uh, so that we could have a big old chinwag about the media and particularly its relationship with football. So over the Christmas and New Year period, We'll be bringing you three shows examining that very subject. In this first week's part, we'll be asking, is the media biased? Before discussing whether hashtag agenda is actually a two-way street. And finally, looking at the changing media landscape. So then, part one, a deliberately provocative question. Is the media biased? It is the charge regularly laid at the feet of the media. So is it true? Now, we like to be timeless on Set Piece Menu, of course, but um, this is rather timely. Uh, bearing in mind what happened on Match of the Day and what's being now called in the industry the Wyeth Weekend. <laughs> um, also that uh, day was the Arsenal-Manchester United match, uh, after which um, there was a whole tirade of abuse aimed at, particularly in Wright, but also Alan Shearer, um, from Arsenal fans who thought that they were being disingenuous to not mention that Arsenal had so many chances and so much possession, they in fact instead focused on uh, them missing a lot of chances and failing to take those chances and Manchester United's ability to counter-attack and do so rather well. There was a piece written in The Guardian by Marina Hyde, who I think we're all fans of, of oh, whom oh, yes. we are all fans. Marina Hyde is the best writer in Britain. Uh, I think she's excellent, um, and it was dripping... Better, better than... Anyone sat around this table? Oh, yeah. oh by a mile. Uh, by yeah. a mile. Rory yeah. Smith is the 99th percentile. <laughs> Marina Hyde is the tallest uh, of the lot. No, I am taller than Marina Hyde. <laughs> I want to make that abundant. There's one thing you have over her, isn't it? That is literally yeah. the only, the only yeah. talent she, she yeah. batters. Talent -wise, the piece, not you may all well know, uh, it was dripping with sarcasm. At least we assume so. Um, it talks about what she calls the latest theory about football bias. In this case, and this is now a quote from her, the notion that match of the day pundits, including Ian Wright, are biased against Arsenal Prepare to have your mind blown because it's all true. It's a massive conspiracy and it's bigger than you can possibly imagine. It's not just the referees that hate your club. It is, as you suspected, the newspapers, the websites, the television programmes and the match of the day pundits too. So this brings us round to the very famous Wyeth Weekend and Match of the Day, um, because we just so happen to have had a contribution um, from a Match of the Day producer who will remain unnamed about the media bias against, or the programme bias against their club. It is something that happens a lot, and it is um, an accusation regularly levelled. So perhaps um, some, some anecdotal evidence that this is in fact true. Well, as... Marina Hyde points out in much more eloquent style than, than I could ever possibly achieve. It is completely nonsensical because the thing about football on the television is that people can see it. 
people can make their own minds up, can't they? So you can't be biased. You can't run 10 minutes of highlights on a game between Manchester United and Arsenal and then analyse that game immediately afterwards and pretend that what, ha- what has happened in that game is different to what people have just experienced for themselves, especially if they also, early on in the day, watch the game live. Mm. So it, it buys into this sort of conspiracy of, of football fans who perhaps want to believe the narrative that more suits their purpose and, and makes them feel better about the outcome. Yes, in that game, Arsenal created a lot of opportunities, but they lost 3-1 and were defensively shambolic. Ian Wright and Alan Shearer can't sit there and pretend that wasn't true. And match of the day would not be doing their job if they somehow managed to concoct a theory that supported that, despite there not being any actual evidence of it. Because isn't scoring scoring goals, that's the way that football matches are decided. It's quite important, I think, in football, isn't it? It's scoring certainly one of, the, one of the key yeah. factors. Yes. Yeah. Just one of. I mean, KPIs, yeah. yeah X, so. XG, I think we've now come to accept, is, is nearly as important. And <laughs> pass completion rates, you know, if, if, if you could get points for that, then, you know, Arsenal would probably be champions every year. I've always set great store by the number of corners a team wins. Always, always corners. There should be points for corners. In fact, goals for every fourth corner. Yeah. I like shots off target. <laughs> <laughs> That's your favourite one. I always think, you know, you've got to give a team an awful lot of credit for not being able to score from Still 30 yards out. Fantastic at that. Practice missing the target during the course of the it's week. Like there's always an alternative <laughs> Premier League table at the end of the season about something, isn't there? It should be shots off target. The Stokes anti, champions. The anti-football league. But we, we, should, yep. uh, we should bring in the, so, the, the evidence that has come to us via, via uh, uh, an unnamed So I did, I, did, I did reach out and, and ask for perhaps a couple of examples of extremities of these kind of conspiracy theories and and one that was brought to my attention was cast your minds back to the end of August 2011 the day that Manchester United beat Arsenal 8-2 and Manchester City won 5-1 at Spurs on the same day now there were two other games that day which haven't quite gone down in Premier League folklore in quite the same fashion Newcastle beat Fulham 2-1 at St James's Park and there was a massive game at the Hawthorns, which Stoke edged by a single goal to nil. Incredibly, after match of, day, match of the day two that evening, they received complaints from a Newcastle supporter that their game had not been on first. That no, Manchester United against Arsenal and City against Spurs... Games that finished 8-2 and 5-1. Yeah, but how much possession were, did were Arsenal further, have? <laughs> were further how up the running corners? order than Newcastle 2, Fulham 1. Was there logic that the other two had been on TV already? <laughs> well, was the only possible reason... The, well, no, the, the logic seems to be that there was a big club bias. Yeah, but this, this is one person saying this, surely. But this, 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 is, the kind of, but these, this. this is the kind of thing that you have to deal with when you are putting radio, Mm. television together, newspapers, is that people will view these things so finely through their own prism that you can't even step back and go, do you know what? This week, I think I can pretty much understand that a game that finishes 8-2 and one that finishes 5-1 are going to be ahead of our three-goal game in the match of the day running order. That's what the media have to do. They have to disregard what the fans might want to happen and have to decide on which games they show and which games they consider to be most relevant, don't they? They have to distance themselves from saying, well, Newcastle fans will clearly want their game. But that isn't, in the scheme of things, that doesn't make any sense as a broadcaster. But if then the fans think they're doing it 
on purpose to make life difficult or be or, or, make, or make Newcastle fans feel uncomfortable. That clearly isn't the case. Do they not understand? Well, clearly they don't understand that broadcasters. That's that's their job to oversee everything that's happened yeah. and decide on which order to put things in. The point is that they have to divorce Does themselves from, from any personal bias or leanings yeah, towards yeah, yeah. a club and divorce themselves yes. from the feelings of all those yeah. particularly um, invested fans to make a decision and a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks and particularly today is the sense that the whole point of, a, of somebody's decision making process in this position is yeah. to completely divorce yourself from bias so as to attempt to make a decision which serves all of your audience in the best manner possible. But the, the media is biased. It's just not biased in the way that it's often accused of being biased. That's the, that's the difficulty. I saw a great tweet, I can't remember who it was, about, it, was, it, it may even have been after that game and part of that same kind of um, compl- series tr- of complaints about the way that Arsenal were being treated, which was an Arsenal fan bemoaning the status, the state of, of, of the media in general and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm really sick of the media now. They're, um, they're really awful and they're particularly awful, it seems, towards Arsenal. Not sure why. And I remember thinking, how can you be... You don't want to sort of cri- accuse people of being thick, but like, how can you be so obviously unaware of something that's so clear mm. that it's, it's not that the media's awful towards Arsenal. It might be awful. You might think it's awful. That's a different debate. But it's not that it's particularly awful towards Arsenal. It's that you're only reading the bits about Arsenal. You only care about the bits about Arsenal because your Twitter name is at Highbury Arsenal Urzil or whatever. And you sort of think, well, th- this is not... The issue here is not the media's yeah. bias. It's your bias. And it's your, what you're saying is, is evidence of bias. It's just that someone has an opinion different to you. Uh, and also, the, if, say, Newcastle lose 4-0 at home, would Newcastle fans want their game on first? Exactly. Say, so, well, if well, you they, put that they, game on first, you, oh, you can't do that. That's absolutely... They, they wouldn't, wouldn't, they wouldn't watch yeah. Match of the Day. Yeah. They wouldn't watch Match of the Day. Yeah. But that, Rory's right. The, the, the issue is that, you know, you would read a review of the game in the paper or online you would look at Twitter comments and you would pay particular attention to the highlights on the television of the game involving your team so you would hear that criticism but you wouldn't be comparing that criticism to perhaps the criticism that Stoke have received for losing 5-1 at Tottenham or you know the negativity that had been written about the way that Manchester United went about the Manchester Derby you're not going to absorb that in the same way you're not going to say actually do you know what you know, my team got away fairly easily this weekend. Yeah, there's a bit of criticism, but compare. I'm glad I'm not a fan of that that, that team. Things yeah, sound yeah. desperate there. Yeah. I wrote about Mourinho before the derby and had a conversation with, with, I think, a Chelsea fan, weirdly, who was saying that Mourinho gets much more criticism for being defensive than Conte. And my initial response to that was, was well, he does, but Mourinho makes style a much bigger subject than Conte does. But the guy then said, well, I've not, I did, I've not read a single thing about Conte being defensive. And you think, well, I have. I've read loads of stuff about Conte being defensive. It comes up all of the time. There was a whole thing about it last year when Jose brought yeah. it up. Well, it, get, it gets so brought simply because he's Italian, it would get yeah, brought up. Yeah, exactly. So it reminded me, do you remember? The, it, was something like, it was something like the Civil War in Yemen. A, a kind of fe- relatively distant current event that was quite harrowing and tragic. And there was a, a load of Facebook posts saying, you won't see this in the mainstream media, but look what's happening in Yemen. Well, I think Lola's particularly up, yeah. upset about that's what's Dexter, going on. That's Dexter, I believe, isn't it? That's, that, that's Dexter. Oh, is that yeah, Dexter yeah. from, from noise, yeah. Noises Off from Dexter? Well, she wants to bring Yemen up. He, uh, yeah, yeah he's got strong opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these Facebook posts are all, you won't see this in the mainstream media, isn't it awful that they're not covering this, they don't care, with a link to a piece on the BBC website. And it's the same with, with football, that people kind of have this, this view that I haven't read it, so it can't exist. Yeah. There's been loads of stuff about Conte being defensive. There's loads of stuff about anything you can think of 
anything at all you can think of about any high-profile manager or character or player or team has been written because there are hundreds and hundreds of journalists whose job it is to provide content for various newspapers and websites and what have you. And they, they, they are going to eke out, they're going to mine every single seam they can without a shadow of a doubt. But the fact that the media is, is biased shouldn't be ignored. It's just not, it doesn't manifest in the way that the fans believe that it does. So Eric Clapton wrote a song called Before You Accuse Me, Take a Look at Yourself. In other words, he is trying to highlight the fact that uh, don't throw stones in glass houses. And uh, essentially what is going to be the overarching theme, particularly of this first episode, is that you cannot accuse something of being biased if you are biased yourself. And most fans would admit that they are biased about their own teams. Most will. But they will not admit that they cannot see that that is affecting their opinion of the media by comparison. But... You say the me- media is biased. In what way is the media biased? So we should, we should explain that before we then start to accuse others because Eric Clapton is always right. In many ways, the media is biased. So the first way is the media prefers big clubs. It focuses intensely more on big clubs, which is really obvious. And if you look at the, the games that are broadcast on television, particularly the ones that are, that are, that are on in, in the primetime slots, you might get a, you know West Brom Stoke on a Monday night because Sky have to kind of chuck it away. But... You know, they want, they want the Manchester Derby on Super Sunday. They want Arsenal-Chelsea on Super Sunday. Is that bias or is that just not market forces? Exactly. So, no, it, th- there is a, a leaning towards, the, to, towards covering the big clubs in greater detail, which is relevant and can look like bias towards the big clubs. It isn't. It is, as you say, it's just market forces. The big clubs have got more fans, more people care. I personally think the balance has gone too far, but th- that's what they're doing. They're following the market. They're saying, this is what people want. Let's give them more of it. That's the first kind of... Not biased, but heuristic, I guess, for the for the media. Um, the second is that the media loves stories, and this is that's the most important one. So that the bias that people perceive is often is often just the fact that you write the better story. So the the story that Arsenal created a lot of chances is not as as good or important a story as Arsenal missed loads of chances. Partly because converting chances is kind of the point of the game. So it's no good to an extent. It's no good creating them if you you're going to miss them. But it also is a point of greater interest that Arsenal missed all those chances rather than, oh, they, they made all these chances, so actually it's probably fine. There is a bias towards the narrative because that's, what, that's, what, that's how we understand football. And there was also a bias towards the controversial, which, and this is a point that I'll make a lot in the next three weeks. The crucial thing with British football culture is that we don't have specific sports newspapers. That has bled into every single aspect of the way we cover and the way we follow football. So Italy and Spain, they have papers that are devoted to sport, which means that they can have they have 16, 30, 32, 48 pages a day just on sport. We don't. Our, our newspapers have the sports sections in the back of the main book, which has always been the way. And what that means is the sports editor of a newspaper has to go in to conference every morning to a group of people, nine times out of ten, who know nothing about football and act occasionally actively hateful yes and and can be disparaging about yeah. it outwardly and they have to sell their con their, their content to those people to say this is what we're going to put in the newspaper today so they're pitching for column inches they don't yeah. get a dedicated number of pages they will have example. a dedicated number of pages but if you go to conference and say right so we've to, to a, an editor who hates football and a room of people who are terrified of this this all-powerful editor who also don't like football and you say what we're going to do is we're going to do a tactical breakdown of manchester city's attacking patterns they're going to go mm. 
If you don't want to say, we're going we're to do a column on whether Wayne Rooney's finished, then they go, all right, yeah, that makes sense to me. And that's why we focus much more on incidents rather than overall performance. That's why we focus on individuals rather than collectives. It's because it's all been broken down into a language that people who don't like football can understand. And that has bled into the way that the television and the radio cover football because the newspapers came first. There is a great focus on the crossover into the mainstream in, in British media culture. What matters to... Every, what, what matters to the BBC One audience matters more to Match of the Day, perhaps, than it does to the football audience. It's a programme that gets millions of people watching it, but there are two reasons that millions of people watch it. First of all, it's, it's the first opportunity for a lot of people to watch the football, so brilliant, you see the highlights. But the other reason is, is because it's on BBC One on a Saturday night. There is a huge latent audience from Strictly, from people who are coming back from the pub. You know, this is a part of people's culture. So you have to always remember what has mainstream crossover appeal. And this is why those decisions, Rory, that you were mentioning were made. But that's also, on the flip side, why producers and editors of those programmes have to be incredibly careful to make sure they are representing all fans as closely as possible to the editorial policy of the programme, which is to give the best football the most amount of time and to tell the stories in a way which is, yes, mainstream, but also commensurate with what actually happened that day and what's important. Yes, it would be, it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it, if there was some kind of algorithm you could apply to the days, to, to a, a Saturday of football to decide which of those games was most significant or most important and should be on first. But the fact remains is that you've got to analyse those games. You've got to look at the significance of the match in terms of you know the position of the teams in the table, the entertainment value of that match, and you know whether there was you know goals worth showing from that game. You know, match of the day, for example, have led this season with a nil-nil draw because it was a really entertaining goalless draw. Mm. But as a general rule... They Steve loves a goalless draw. I remember. do love a he tactical goalless draw. He loves a goalless draw. It wasn't, it wasn't a tactical goalless draw. It was just two, two teams incapable of scoring goals. But <laughs> um, <laughs> So you have to put all those things together. But the big teams will obviously... You know, there'll be an awful lot of desire to show the most entertaining game first. But if you've got a United-Arsenal game and it's lived up to expectation... And Even if it the, was on television already yeah, earlier on in that day. Because as we've discussed in this podcast before, at least two-thirds of people in this country watch their Premier League football via match of the day. That's a large chunk of the audience. So you, you can't make a decision based on the fact that that game was live on BT Sport at half past five or it was live on Sky at lunchtime. You've got to make the decision based on what you know will interest the majority of your audience. If a game between Burnley and Stoke finishes 4-4... It'll be it'll be on first. They did that relatively recently. There was a, a high-scoring game between two lower, sort of lower mid-table yeah. teams that went first on match today. Even though I think there was a, I think United City and Arsenal had all played that day, and possibly two of them against each other. But if if you have say match the day on for five hours and you can analyse every game for an hour, or you had more column inches or yeah. separate newspapers mm. purely covering football, do you think there'd be less criticism of bias within the media because there'd be more of it for people to digest? No. No, it's going to be there. Short answer, no. Because because of where the bias if you say comes from. Negative, they think, well, if you say negative things about our club, that means you're biased against it. Is that how people, whether you do it for an hour or five hours, or it's the back of a, a regular newspaper or a specific newspaper, the, the fans, if they were reading or watching criticism, they'd say, you're biased against my club. I, I, you kind of want to think it's got worse recently, 
but I suspect it hasn't. I suspect it's always been like this, and it's we're just more aware of just, people yeah, complaining yeah. about it. And yeah. yeah, and that's probably that, that's probably a, a kind of bubble effect on us as as the, as the media. The um, people have the ability to complain as well. They're the platforms yeah, to. They've got, they they can make make their voices heard, yeah. and that's a that's a great thing. Yeah. But the, yeah, you, so it, I suspect it has always been like this. That there has, has always been a perception that the media is biased against certain teams and certain clubs. I think one thing that the media I don't know if it's true, certainly in the print media. I don't know whether it's true of TV and radio as well. I don't know if we necessarily explain the process well enough a lot of the time. That well, that's one of the things that we, we need to do either today or, or at some point. The process needs to be, and we, we've talked about the, the macro in terms of how big programmes are, are thought about, and, and Match of the Day is, is the biggest programme when it comes to trying to editorialise football. Um, and we've talked about newspapers in the way that they've done it too. But perhaps if we bring it down to the micro and consider our own personal thoughts on this and our own personal preparations and how we fit into that wider sphere of media and how hopefully we can, using our own examples, give the best uh, possible reasons as to, to why fans shouldn't accuse us, at least, of being biased, which is something that we'll get on the iTunes reviews, uh, no doubt. Essentially, we are, apart from Chinch, we're all fans, but we're not fans at work. In fact, I speak for myself here when I, I say that I'm very pompously against those people who use their status as a fan in the media. I get very frustrated by it because, again, yes, I'm, I'm very pompous. We, we tend to be journalists first, fans second, and those who are fans first and journalists second, we, we get a little frustrated with it. Let's, let's leave it at that. Otherwise, we'll spend the next 40 minutes talking about people that we dislike. Um, but we, we have to, but also it's become instinctive. We leave our emotions at home. We couldn't do this job otherwise, or perhaps more relevant, we wouldn't actually keep our jobs for very long if we did that. Um, so, Chinj, we've spoken on a previous podcast, and we, we actually decided to take that out so that we could use it now, is that right back at the beginning of the season, you commentated on Manchester City 1, Everton 1. Yeah. It was a game that Manchester City had loads of, like the Arsenal game at Manchester United, had lots of chances, didn't take them, and it finished 1-1, yeah. you were accused by a Manchester City fan of being biased against City yeah. during that commentary. So this is a moment for you to be able to say, what is your preparation for a game? And I know you're not a fan of a club, but how do you not bring perhaps your your allegiances to bear on a commentary? And then we'll we'll feed off that as we, we hear your experiences. Well, as you said there, you have to realise, or I realise very quickly, the job that you're doing when you come from playing football, of course, supporting teams that you maybe played for and then become a broadcaster. I was very keen to become a broadcaster who had played the game. So you use the knowledge that you had from playing the game. You take that into the broadcasting work that you do to hopefully benefit the people that are watching. But I, I don't watch City player, Everton player and think, well, I'm going to say they're great, 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 even if they're not. I actually go not the other way. and I'm not really more critical on the teams that I play for. I just try and see two teams playing. And genuinely, that's what I, I try and do. But in a game like that, if, if chances are created and missed, and I say they've created loads of chances but not taken them, if people then say, well, that's being biased, that's a horrible thing to say. No, it's actually, I feel, it's what I it reckon is the truth. So I'm just going to stick to what I believe is right. It could be right, it could be wrong. But to say that I'm biased because I, I have that opinion, but also maybe my opinion is a bit more valid because I've played in games like that. I've been on both ends of that type of performance as well. So I, I do know what it's all about. And I do know how the players will be thinking, what the coaches will be thinking and what I actually think. So when I, when I do a game, it doesn't matter who it is, Wigan, Man City, Barcelona, it doesn't make any difference to me. I just look at two teams and take everything else 
away and just watch the game that's in front of you. I know it's not always easy to do that because in Manchester Derby, I've done Manchester Derbies, but again, I'm very conscious of everything that I say people will be hypercritical of. If I did the, the, the 6-1 game at Old Trafford when City were fantastic and won 6-1. Now, if I say City are, were unbelievable, scored some great goals, United fans can't say, well, you would say that because you're a City fan. No, I would say that because that's the game I've just seen in front of me. So whether it was Wigan who'd scored six at Old Trafford, I'd say the same thing. So it's a, it's a, it's a stick very easy to be beaten with because people say, well, you play for Everton or you play for City. So you would see it that way. Well, you, you tell me where I'm wrong. That's what I always say. Well, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me how you saw it. And then we'll try and work out who's right and who's wrong. But it's just anyone who has played the game has played for different clubs. You go and work in the media. That's automatically they're going to think, well, you're on one team side or the other and I work very hard to make sure that isn't the case yeah, just, just to sort of support what Chinch has said from the point of view of, of commentating and co-commentating on a football match there is so much going on you uh, it, a good way of comparing it is, is you, are, you are revising for an exam which you're then going to take over the period of 90 minutes but in the same way as revising for an exam you don't know what's going to come up so you have to prepare for all eventualities and you'll only use a small fraction of your preparation to, to help you navigate your way through that game. The largest portion of it is, is what's happening in front of you. Mm. You can then dip into your research and your knowledge as a consequence of what happens in the match. You, you can't go in with an agenda and start shoehorning in bias and personal opinion on so things. So like you hate Paolo Dybala, you can't, not that you do, but if you hated Paolo Dybala, you couldn't be, you couldn't possibly have it that you, every time he touched the ball, you'd be, well, sort of the dodgy touch from Paolo Dybala if he's scoring a hat-trick. Yeah, you, you, you and can't. And if, if we ever hear any broadcasters doing that, which sounds like it's informed by a bias, yeah. we are the first people to say, oh, do you know what, that is not good. We, we can talk a little bit maybe about the difference between radio and television in that context, and then subsequently also print. Uh, but just to support what Chinch is saying, is that everything you do is based on what is happening in that game. And there is, from the point of view of the broadcaster in that situation, just to try and sort of illustrate it a little bit, you know, you're up on the gantry, you're watching the game with your own eyes, you also have a monitor, or maybe two monitors, which are giving you the, the, the pictures that are being, be, you know, that the cameras are, are picking up and beaming back. You know, via some broadcast facility. Chinch has his tactics into, board as well, obviously. Yeah, Chinch has got his tactics got board. got a dent in it, but it's still there, yeah. yeah. You are having to listen to what your co-commentator is doing. You are having to process thoughts in your own mind and explain those eloquently. And you have a director. And you've, a also, got, you've also got a director who is constantly talking, is engaging with the, the cameras and letting you know what's coming, coming up. To, to try and shoehorn bias into that process as well would be nigh impossible. If you could compute all of that information, broadcast eloquently, and also bring your own personal bias into it, I think probably the FSB would like to embed you in MI6 because <laughs> you are a, 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 much, a much better faker than any of us could possibly be. It, it would just be absurd, and especially on television, to, to come back to what Rory has just pointed out, if you are saying something that is patently not true, that people can see with evidence of their own eyes, you wouldn't last very long. You have to put, even if, even if the team that you support are involved in the game that you are commentating on, you have to put professionalism ahead of bias. Otherwise, you're not going to last very long. There is a professional integrity in distance, in emotional distance. We like to yeah. get involved in the emotions of the game, but there is there is... An inbuilt 
switch, if you like, that turns that all off. And like you say, Steve, I've, I've commentated on many games, teams against uh, the team that I support, but it doesn't even come into your mind. You're, you're, even once, your, your priority is to your work, like it is for so many people out there. Those who accuse people of bias in the media go to work and they, yes, they take all their emotions, which are connected to all manner of parts of their lives, but they do their work first. They don't let that emotion that is part of their out non-work life get the better of them at work. And it's just the same for us. I, th- I think for a former player going, that's why it's a bit more difficult because you guys obviously were, were born and bred broadcasting. But when you're an ex-player, I presume a City fan or an Everton fan will see me back in the day in my Everton kit or in my City kit and think that's me. So they see mm. me on the mm. gantry. And why would he be saying that about Man City? Why would he be saying that about that chance that Everton... Why is he wearing such short shorts? Why is he wearing yeah. short shorts? They're so tight. <laughs> fit a- but that's, and that's the problem is that they don't maybe then see the person that you are now and how hard you do. And then, of course, because you, you don't get the chance to explain. Mm. But a lot of people I, I do speak to do think I'm... And that's, that's the thing. You're trying to be fair. And you know, especially about penalty decisions. You, you take the shirt, not in a, in a sexy way, but you take the shirts off the players. <laughs> and just say, Depends who it is, really. Yes. And ju- well, absolutely, Joe Gomez. But anyway. Is that why you just disappear, disappear right at full time? You've got to get down to the touchline. Absolutely, I do. Yes, yes. Fire the dressing room, get, get some milk and water splashed in your face. Taking my coat off to get one of the Premier League footballer shirts. No, but you have to, that's what you have to do is take, and I don't, even th- I don't even think about it. It doesn't even cross my back. For an ex-player, that's maybe the difficulty. If you don't, re- I say this to all the, the, the newer lads that are joined. You're a broadcaster now who played football. You're not a footballer who's broadcasting. There's a massive difference if you take. But you very quickly found out. Are there that many that you would say you've heard over the years who clearly are doing the job? Well, quite a lot of quite a lot of broadcasters who used to be footballers start in local media where they are allowed mm. to have that feeling, and indeed the whole setup is to be supportive of that team. That is, in my opinion, that's the pundit's job, not the commentator's job, but yeah. quite a lot of uh, local yeah. radio, the commentator does it as well, which is a frustration of mine. So that's, if they're graduating, for example, to a more network-based or a national broadcasting, that, that, that can be a difficult thing to divorce yourself from. Yeah. But there is also the, the very sad and rising tendency to have cameras installed in the studios during games uh, and then during particularly high, high pressure matches to have those cameras at half time show you the reactions of the pundits to the goals that's not a good idea where they are celebrating that is not yeah. your job you are not it, it, it's nothing to do with me it's not, nothing to do with television but you are not there to celebrate goals you're working and there is there is a code of honour almost in a press box that people not sure if they believe, but it is. It holds really truly that you don't celebrate. Never applaud, even if a, a player's got a hatch and they're coming Not off. Not true. I, I've I've got to my feet and applauded once. Right. Okay. So there's an exception, but that Zlatan, proves the rule. Zlatan's fourth goal against England, the in, 35 in, yard in, yes. overhead yeah, kick. Yeah. I reserve the right to applaud that. Yeah. But, that but I think that's fine. But the, the, but the nature been, of that exception I've, surely proves the rule. I've been at games where the team I support have absolutely tonked our. our most most heated rivals and sat completely silently and because that's what you have to do you're right there is a code there is a code in the press box and the, the only time that I've seen that broken is when Manchester City won the league in 2012 um, with the Aguero goal uh, an incredible moment which genuinely surpassed a lot of what even those hardened journalists have seen in their life that they would have covered World Cups, Champions League finals. But the, the drama of that moment was, was genuinely felt by a lot of people. And there, there were 
there was a reaction. You're only human. Well, you, yes, exactly. Because it, yeah, uh, the drama is such but, that. But you, that's yeah. not it's ba- based on any sort of bias. In fact, Manchester City fans accused the media of having an agenda against them. So they would have found it interesting to see quite a lot of people break that code because they were so consumed by that moment. Well, I think uh, yeah. So I think that the, the the two Manchester clubs, the examples, the example of the two Manchester clubs and their relationship to bias is really is worth considering. But from a print point of view. Yes, we should do uh, do print and then we'll go on to and the clubs that we think are I, particularly... Yeah. I don't speak for the print media. You, the accusation is always that you're biased towards the team that you are perceived to support. Man City fans certainly have, have compiled lists of who journalists support in the past. You see them on forums for Man United and for Arsenal, for Liverpool. Who, you know, who, do, who do these journalists support? I, I support a Premier League team, but I would say that the the team I support is the least of my biases. I have loads of biases but it's not towards the team I support. That's not how you function. You're right. You, you, when you're working, I've done games where the team I support have been battered by serious rivals and you, sw- you, sw- you shut it down, you switch off and you work because ultimately that's what you're, what, what's far more important to me is that I can pay my mortgage. That's what matters. Not, not that I, I, I can't run up and say, sorry, I can't write this. We lost 4-0. Yeah, that's not, that's not an and, option. And every fan that accuses the media of bias will understand that and completely yeah. feel like that the mortgage is the most important thing for them. So sh- if, if, there's any, yeah. if there's any kind of straw to clutch at, it is that. You have to go to work. So, but then you do, you do build up relationships with people and you want to see those people do well. And so you probably are more kindly disposed to them. That's that's a form of bias. You have opinions on players and you see those players' actions through the prism of your own perception. And you have, most importantly, you have opinions. You have opinions on what's, on what's good and what's not, on who's good and who's not, what's right and what's wrong. And as a print journalist, you, you, are, you are able, sometimes, not all the time, it's just the different disciplines within print journalism, just as, the, you know, just as being a co-coms is different to being a commentator, you are able to write about those, those, those things, but what they are not are biases. They're just your opinions, and just because it's your opinion doesn't mean it's, it's, it's and someone else doesn't agree with it doesn't mean it's wrong. But as Chinch says, the, the thing is that as soon as there is some form of criticism, it is taken as being proof of a bias. When in fact it's not. It's just that you know I I don't like, I really like counter-attacking football, but I don't like long ball football. So if I see a team playing long ball football, I'm, I'm less likely to think they're playing well. Because I don't think that form of football is particularly effective. But your opinions are informed by your expertise and your experience doing the job. If if you mm. were to let any sort of biases infiltrate that, you would probably be aware of them and either rail or fight or t- temper them so that you are not being seen or at least you don't feel like you're being unprofessional. I actually asked around a couple of colleagues knowing that we have this topic coming up just to try and gauge their approach to work. Real I know, actually, I actually have all like the anti-change. This, yeah. has been, <laughs> this has been in the pipeline for a while. I've had time to, and, and the general, the general <laughs> mood I got amongst people, apart from that, you know, there is, you know, there really isn't a bias. And if, if, if every fan thinks you're biased against their club, the chances are you're probably getting something right. Is a bit it, like a bit like the, the, with you know the with BBC politics. politics. Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, if you if you vote Tory, you're convinced that the BBC is a left wing organisation, and vice versa. So if if everybody thinks you, you feel you you are against them, then you're probably getting the balance around about right. And the, the general mood that I I got from people is that if anything, you are biased against the club that you support. You're more likely to you're more likely to overcompensate. You hold them to a higher standard, yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, and that if people feel as though a team is getting preferential treatment, it's probably 
most likely that there's there's no supporter of that mm. club involved in the production. The other thing to remember is that there is huge numbers of people involved in putting together a newspaper, putting together live te- television or live radio. It'd be almost impossible for the fan of one club to entirely infiltrate yeah. that and and dominate the, the, the agenda in terms of, of where and, any bias and they, might if lie. If they tried, they'd lose their job. But yeah. this is where we get into, into a structural form of... of not bias, but into the way that the the perception of football is structured, which is which is a really important, which is something that does exist. But I don't think, as you say, but bias in the sense that oh, he supports him and she supports them and blah blah blah. That doesn't exist. You mentioned that you are aware of your biases that are more personal. You are. So I I, I invested a lot of time in Roberto Martinez, for example. Uh, used we to all to, know how that ended. to his press conferences at Wigan <laughs> and then at Everton, and I was always very not. I liked the way Roberto Martinez played football, and. There was a point when he was at, at Everton, just before I, I wrote a piece criticising him and suggesting that maybe his time was up, and he got very upset, that that I was probably kinder to Roberto than other journalists on the occasions that I wrote about Everton, which wasn't that frequently, but I tended to be a bit kinder to, to, towards Roberto than, than other journalists would have been, because I liked him, I knew him and I liked him. And you write those pieces, but you are, you're conscious of the fact, look, I, I am kind of broadly in favour of this guy, so... I am being positive, but you know what you're doing, and you always try and present the counter argument. But, but, but you, you are, you have those. But that's also feelings. an opinion that I, exactly, that I, I deep that I held. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't. I liked him as a man. He's lost 40 games in a row, but he's a he's a nice fella. So I'm going to pretend that he hasn't. It's just you, you look, you look to accentuate the the positive. It's an argument the, based on what exactly. you have seen, and yes, it might be slightly coloured, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are only writing the article yeah. in a vacuum because of a bias. But also, it is just an argument it's an, you are making an argument with pieces like that you are making an argument if I wrote if, if I then went to see an Everton game and they lost 4-1 I would still have written that Everton were terrible I wrote Rafa Benitez's autobiography and when Rafa was at Chelsea I was so conscious of the need to uh, to kind of not be look like I was being his spokesman effectively that I got a message through about three or four months in asking whether maybe I, I could tone down the criticism. <laughs> and you sort of thought, I'm, I'm not really. I thought I've been. I thought I've been pretty fair. But you, you, that that's that overcompensating that you that you that you do do because you're conscious of of your own your own relationships and you have to have those relationships as a journalist. Otherwise, you don't have any value as a journalist. But you you are conscious of the need to to be fair. But also, you can't disguise the fact that you have your opinion. This is where the process comes in, because there are ele- different elements to reporting. So, just as co-coms and commentators, different jobs with different responsibilities. There is writing news, which is, there is writing interviews, there's feature writing, there's analysis, there's all these things that comprise a newspaper, and they all require different levels of, of opinion, effectively. So, if you're writing news, then you shouldn't have any opinion in it at all. You are simply passing on facts. If you're doing a comment piece, a, a, a column or an, a colour piece from a game, the kind of the, the more analytic, analytical piece, if you don't have any opinion in there, then it's pointless. You have to have opinion, especially now, you have to have opinion in there. And that's, I think, what, what happens sometimes, and you don't want to sort of say, oh, people don't understand, and it is the media's job to convey its process more. It's not always immediately apparent which bit is which to fans. That if you, there is a lot of comment around now, and I think there's, it's easy to think that everything you read is is comment when it's not. And is that true also of are supporters aware of where information that they are seeing, hearing, viewing is coming from? I know we're going to get on in the next edition as to the relationship between 
football in the media. But the, the problem is, is, you know, with club media, local media, which are going to be more biased towards mm. your That's also to come team. later. And then obviously national media, which is going to be more balanced, is that perhaps in the same way as people are, re- are reading the paper, but not perhaps understanding the point of view from where the reporter or the journalist is coming from, are they fully aware of where the source of information that they are holding to be the, the truth is coming from? And therefore, anything that counteracts that, they are seeing as bias, whereas actually that's just the more balanced view of the, 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 the game as two teams as a whole or it's, the entire weekend of, of football. It's the echo chamber. It's if you exist in a world where... And the, the, the accusations come from people who I think consume a lot more media. My dad, who watches Match of the Day once a week, doesn't accuse anybody of being biased. The Leicester fan doesn't sit around and, oh, they're terribly biased against Leicester. He got a bit annoyed with the BBC for being a bit too... For, continually telling them that Leicester might win the title the season they did win the title being too positive about it he thought they were being ridiculous but <laughs> the you know he doesn't he doesn't sit around my, my father-in-law who's a Liverpool fan doesn't sit around and accuse you know he watches the Dose Wanfield a lot watches the games checks the club website every day for news or whatever checks the BBC website he doesn't sit around accusing the media of being biased it's people who consume a lot of media and it's because a lot of that media is coloured so it's stuff on, on forums or from Twitter accounts that are devoted to their club that only see kind of the positive only want to see the positive and that's why quite a lot of the time we've we've started to have these conversations and we veered into talking about the media and we, we've tried to stop ourselves because we've talked about echo chambers before we've talked about narratives we've talked about all these these sorts of things and it's very difficult to uh, to try and be disciplined I will try and be disciplined we'll move on uh, now to the final section of this conversation which is about which clubs are bad do we think <laughs> and why because there'll be a reason there must be a reason why and we've talked a lot about talked a lot about bias. One thing that we've also talked about previously is confirmation bias. That has a relevance here. We've talked about grumbling fans pretty recently. That is relevant uh, here. It's easy, for example, if you're a fan to highlight a piece that is critical, ignore all the articles praising your club because you probably don't necessarily think that's going to help your argument. You hear what you want to hear and what you don't want to hear is evidence of bias. But if you follow a big club, it will be, as you said earlier on, whether this is because of bias, Rory, or not, it will be in the news more. Mm-hmm. So essentially that lends weight to an argument that fans of big clubs will have more reason to complain about bias because they are in the media more. Um, our colleague from the Sun, Neil Custis, was, was on Five Live recently um, and he was trying to explain why he thought it was silly that Manchester City fans felt that there was a bias against them in the media because... Papers like The Sun started putting out stories about training ground bust-ups um, in the old training ground where they tried to erect a fence high enough to stop photographers <laughs> taking pictures. Which was right they, next to a public walk, walkway. Yeah. A public walkway <laughs> so they just got on a step back. It wasn't a bridle path. You could take a yeah. horse along there and just peek <laughs> over the fence. Peek over the fence to see Mario Balotelli having a strop. Um, but if that had happened when City weren't big, weren't winning leagues, weren't so much of a big deal, that would have had two paragraphs it would have been a trifling thing, but now, because of the personalities involved and because of the club, they get a lot more attention. So you're going to think that if your club is getting a lot more negative attention, it's because of a bias. Well, you're actually just getting a lot more attention, full stop, good and bad. Mm-hmm. But if you are determined to think that it's bad, you will see the bad and you will use it as evidence for your argument. So which clubs in Manchester City, I know I've tried to talk down loads of Manchester City fans off a ledge of bias claiming that all 
the media is biased against them. And I tried to give them examples of how glowing articles are written about the incredible football that they've played, but that doesn't necessarily. But do they genuinely win the believe argument. there's a conspiracy they do across genuinely, the board? They do genuinely believe that. In fact, let's widen it out from Manchester City and talk about Manchester City. Is it? Uh, all of the top five or six? You know, in my in experience, your experience what, what, do, what have you found, Rory? So everyone outside the top six kind of have, has the view that, that they don't get enough attention or enough praise and that, that there is a bid a bit six bias. That They've is, got a general shared grievance, yeah, haven't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think. And, and uh, the, perhaps one of the more understandable complaints is that their matches are framed, their matches against the big six are framed within the narrative of the big six and not them. Yes, there is... Yeah, and that probably is, to be fair, that's probably legitimate. West Brom beat Manchester United. It's not that. It's Manchester United losing to West Brom. But that is because, and and again, this is kind of a practicality thing. You can only write write one story. You you only get one shot at commentating on a game. You have to go for the bigger story, and the bigger story is always the the big club losing. And it shouldn't necessarily be like that, but that's... You only get one shot, so that's what you're going to do. There is a, a broad, it's, I think it's probably broadly fair for the fans of the other 14 and the other 90, uh, hang on, 72 clubs in the football league to say that maybe the, the, the top six get a bit too much attention and everything is framed, as you say, through their experience. Within the top six, I've always found Spurs the most reasonable in terms of fans. And we mentioned that before, haven't we? Yeah, they seem relatively, I like the fact they've been beaten down by years of <laughs> disappointment. I, I appreciate that. I think that's, they, they have a sort of fatalism, Spurs fans, that I think makes them less objectionable. Uh, I'd say that the other five... It's interesting, journalists talk about this all the time, about who were the craziest, who were the, sort of the most swivel-eyed fans. And some, some say Liverpool, some say Arsenal, some say City. Uh, they're probably the three that... Are, that those the top, are those the top three? They'd probably be the top three that... As a general consensus among the media, they are the fan bases you do not want to annoy. So what, why, do they, why do they think that? Let's well, so try and figure so out why they The thing I can break down really simply. City now get treated like a big club. That is the difference. There is nothing else at play. There is no kind of, oh, they've got Arab money, so we're going to be sort of biased against them, or because lots of people support Man United, or, or whoever, they think that that means they're anti-City. It's not. It's purely and simply that City used to be ignored because they were one of the morass of the other teams. They are now an elite team, and they get the scrutiny that an elite team not only warrants, but but needs. And that can be positive and it can be negative. But what it means most of all is that when City lose, which at the moment isn't very often, that is a story. That's the big difference. When the top six lose, it's a story. When the top six win, it's not a story. The basic tenet of journalism is that dog bites man, not a story. Lola, control yourself. (laughs) Man bites dog, story. So the unusual is what you look for. And the big six losing is unusual because they win more games than they lose. That's why they're the big six. So City are just treated differently and the fans haven't caught up with that. And I've got lots of mates who are City fans. I live in South Manchester. Lots of people that I walk the dog with are City fans. I like City. It's not that I don't like City fans, but there is a, a collective nonsense amongst City fans that doesn't seem to grasp that very simple precept. United are really interesting because I think it's the opposite. United have always been treated as a big club because clearly they are the biggest club in the country. They, they for 26 years, were almost untouchable because United didn't, didn't make many mistakes and there might occasionally have been that thing where they lost a the game and fans thought, oh, well, you, you know, you, why, why is all this focus on, on us losing when you don't focus like this on us winning? Well, because you win all the time and it's boring to write, oh, Man United won again. Aren't Man United? You don't only write, aren't Man United good so many times? And there's a, there's a counterexample of that with Arsenal that's also quite sort of telling. So when United lost under Fergie, it was, it was unusual. So there was a lot of focus on it. Why have United lost? Is this a problem? If they lost two in a row, then 
or if they didn't win the lead, then it was worth examining because United used to win the lead a lot. Now, United are treated just like any other club, any other, any other big club, because they have just as many problems, they, have, they lose just as many games, they're just as chaotic, there's just as many issues, they make just as many bad signings. They're just like all the others. They're not different anymore. So they are treated like all of the others. Mm. They get the same scrutiny, the same criticism as all of the others. But to United fans who've been brought up on a diet of... United are great and it all, all ends, all's well that ends well for United. That looks like the media is reveling in Manchester United's demise. Yeah. The worst thing you'd ever get about United was sort of a, a tinge of jealousy that it was yeah. yet another Manchester United success and was that healthy for English football. Yeah, exactly. Or you'd, you'd maybe, I guess the ultimate compliment is that when you were at the stage where there were people were writing about, you know, is this, this isn't, a, United have won the league, but is it a vintage United? And but you think, well... That, that comes from uh, a frustration which is not necessarily the most professional element of all of us, of telling the same story over and over again is frustrating. So the, the, the counter-example is the Arsenal inquest. So every year for the last 11 years, Arsenal have done this thing where they win five games, then they lose two. And after, the, after every defeat, they're a big club, you have to write an inquest. You have to write the, the Monday inquest piece. I would say that journalists generally dread nothing more than the Monday Arsenal inquest piece. <laughs> I went through when I was at the Times. I was at the Times for five years. I probably wrote forty. The, <laughs> the Did you? You didn't get, ever get into the habit of switching your phone off on those particular no, Monday mornings. I was so. a workaholic for a long time, so it's only recently I've become quite lazy. <laughs> the, um, but you dread it because I, I, I went through the, the sort of naive phase of writing them all really kind of, really kind of earnestly and thinking, yeah, this is this is a really good point. This is this is a new point about this old story. And then you, I wrote about ten that were just saying the thing about Arsenal Inquest is that you've read this before and that the what's and it it got boring then it got interesting again because I thought it was interesting that you could that that nothing was changing and that it was almost interesting being trapped in this groundhog day where the same thing kept happening why is nobody reading this evidence and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> take me seriously and then I got really bored again and I think at one point I refused to write one and it's interesting the papers now when Arsenal drop points or, or lose a game don't really do a vast amount on it because it's all been done. It's all yeah. been done for ten years, mm. and so they've kind of come through the other the other side. I think Arsenal Arsenal fans think that I don't I don't know what Arsenal fans complain about the media is. I think they think that maybe it, people play up to a stereotype or they is it their own frustrations with their own club. They can is it someone else to take out their frustrations on? I think it's it, it's because they must have said everything that's to be said about Arsene Wenger about the players that he signed and the players that they should be. Signed I don't think they should be I don't think they've done as much as they can. I don't think so you've they turn around and say right, it's the media's fault now. I don't it's think someone you, else's fault now. I don't think any Arsenal fan. I don't think anything's ever appeared in the media about Arsenal that Arsenal fans don't think themselves. Mm. I don't. I, I just. I, I don't think that's true at Isn't all. Is that true of most clubs, though? Yeah, it's true. It's true of all clubs, and it's about. It's the same. But as if, if a fan says it about yeah. a club they support, that's okay. Yeah. But yes. If someone else says it, it's family. You have yeah, that's our job. That's we, our job to say that whether I play for City or whatever, it doesn't matter. Our job is to try and be objective and, and state an opinion whether it be right or wrong yeah. but is it because someone else is saying it yeah you don't want to hear the yes. truth do you we, yeah. we, we spoke about this before on the, the grumbling fans episode which we yeah. recommend to, to everybody we just want to wrap this up because we've got two more episodes on this we want to compartmentalise as best as possible but we need to finish off um, with Liverpool and mention them because they are mm. also one of those clubs who uh, tend to do that Rory is having a glass of orange juice so Steve you were going to say something just well, before we round things off it, it sort of ties in with you know by bringing it round to Liverpool and we've already discussed Manchester United and Manchester City the other factor to, to take into account for fans that perhaps feel as though there's a bias against their club is to also remember that the way that their club is represented in the media is a reflection of how successful their club was 10 or 20 years ago. 
Liverpool, dominant in the 70s and 80s, and the media, there was an awful lot of former Liverpool players involved in expressing an opinion in the couple of decades that, that followed that. Likewise, you know, there is an awful lot of players who were successful under Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, who now are involved in, in the television media, I giving their you, opinion. You don't hear much of the class of 92 anymore, do you? They've <laughs> almost, almost completely what? disappeared. I wonder what's happened to them. Almost completely. I can't but, even name them. <laughs> but they are, they are called upon because of their experience, because of the, the medals that they've, they've won, and because that results in their opinion carrying weight. Manchester City fans feel as though they are unrepresented in the media, and this is perhaps something that Andy can can expand upon, is that they that they, they don't feel like their voice is, is being heard. But it's going to take time for that to filter through. Yeah. There aren't that many successful former Manchester City players who are available for to represent them in the media at the moment. There will be in 10 or 15 years' time, but that will take a while to come through in the wash. With and it. that's and why is, Noel Gallagher gets gigs. Exactly. But this is something that really... Um, and I find this really, really troubling, that that the club care about. So the club are bothered by... They, they, I think they think that sort of Trevor Sinclair and Steve McManaman and... I think they count Trevor Sinclair. Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler and Diddy Haman are all ex-Liverpool. They're more Liverpool than they are Man City. Uh, so they feel that the club are actively concerned about it. And I... I wish I, I've, try, I've tried to tell them the double-edged sword having former players in the media it's a really yeah. it can be really good if you if you get the right one and they say the right things and your team's doing well but when things go bad the last thing you want are loads of former players and 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 actually it is a, a bit of a strange theory to support because from the club's point of view because actually shouldn't the team doing well be yeah. enough yes. I remember yeah, Mike yeah. Summerby did the the Noel Gallagher role once <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a Manchester derby. And I love Mike Summerby. He is just a gregarious, fun guy, genuinely good fun to spend time with, um, sometimes without wine. Um, but he, <laughs> he, he, he didn't necessarily... He was put there but as an ambassador of the club and, and, and he didn't necessarily do a particularly good job of bringing Manchester City's points of view to a wider audience. It, it, it just didn't work. He's, he's not done it since. But we, we, need, we need to finish with Liverpool. So... What is it about Liverpool specifically that we think they have or Liverpool fans have? And does it tie back into what Steve was saying about having a new generation of, of kind of acclimatising? It's very difficult if your club is always winning, like Manchester United, to, to, to watch the media react to somebody who was an also-ran. Yeah. There's probably an element of that, that Liverpool, there'll be a generation of Liverpool fans who, who were used to seeing the team win all the time and be praised a lot. I think there's a historical thing with Liverpool that they, there is rightly but I imagine wrongly a belief that the papers didn't there's a famous story about Man United reserves being splashed on the back of the mirror instead of Liverpool winning the title which I suspect is not true but there would have been a point where Liverpool winning the title happened with such regularity that it seemed boring to the media so it didn't get the coverage maybe that Liverpool fans felt it, it should that Liverpool fans are, do feel as though the media is biased against them I'm not 100% certain I know exactly why that is. I, there isn't, it's fair, it seems to be a fairly nebulous, just sort of the media is biased against us. They take pleasure in Liverpool struggling. But I think that's just normal big club stuff. I think that the defeat... the Hillsborough situation, not necessarily... That's, that's, bre that's bred a distrust within yeah. the city, I think, of the media. Yeah. And that is obviously a legitimate thing. That, that, that In that situation, you can understand why there is a kind of dislike for the media. And also the, the portrayal of, of Liverpool and Liverpoolians yeah. in the media in other contexts, so Harry Enfield Scousers and stuff like that, that I think there is a, a, a feeling in the city that the rest of the country does not 
hold Liverpool in high esteem, which feeds into it. But the club stuff is, I think, separate. There is there is there is a lot of legitimate stuff about Hillsborough and what have you that that I think feeds into it. But a lot of the the rest of it is a much more low level, much more kind of unserious kind of when we when Liverpool lose, when we lose, then the media think it's great and they don't yeah. want us to succeed but that's just big club stuff that's yeah. what happens with big yeah. club standard scapegoating that yeah. a lot of clubs want to find or a lot of fans of clubs want to find something to lash out against when they can't deal yeah. with what has essentially been a fact it's, it's what about it, isn't it? Team, it's much yes. nicer to think well alright we've lost but that guy's been really unfair to us and I think that's true of, I don't, I don't I, in my experience I, having worked on Merseyside I don't think that Liverpool fans see the the bias in the media any differently to United fans or Arsenal fans or Chelsea fans I think it's the same thing there might be it might manifest slightly differently and it is, it is against this background of a much more serious issue about the way Liverpool was, was projected in the 80s and 90s and Hillsborough which gives it a, a much greater force I think that's probably fair to say do, do the top the fans of the top six not see that it's kind of the same for all those of the no. top six like they just see it through the blinkers yes. of this is my club yeah. everyone's against my club they don't say yeah. well actually this is happening at United and City yeah. no. and at Arsenal as well no they don't see no, that no not at all no. absolutely not Seems to be compl- but if they did that might give them actually if you feel this is the case everyone's kind of feeling so it, everyone can't be biased against everybody can no, they? we don't have so, time no. we don't have time <laughs> we, we, for the rest of the history of the world we don't have time but um, but yeah you, you're right Every, everybody is suffering in the same way but they can't necessarily see yeah. outside their own experience yeah. um, hopefully we've at least given a reason if, if there have been any fans listening over the last hour or so who feel like they have a lot of complaints to make against the media all we can say is that this is what we think is the reason behind the media's behaviour. This is the processes that the media follows. And hopefully it didn't seem like some sort of um, don't blame us, it's your fault. Because I but think... us doing this, are we part of the conspiracy? Are we yes. fueling the conspiracy? Yeah, exactly. we, we so we're not actually helping, more, more we? reasons to complain. Oh, but essentially we, we wanted to lay it out so that, uh, so that others could perhaps understand more if they didn't or if they did feel... One way, perhaps they feel a slight. And if you have way. complaints, if you think we're wrong, get in touch. Because we, that, the point of bias. What's your home address again, Rory? Uh, <laughs> my home address is irrelevant. <laughs> uh, the 177B. The, if, um, <laughs> if you do have complaints, then if you think we're wrong, tell us. Because we, yeah. the point of biases is you're not always aware of them. We're not doing it deliberately, though. Please. Yeah. yeah. The media, sorry, speaking of. Yeah. <laughs> there really isn't. There's nothing deliberate. There is no bias. It doesn't exist. And if you think there's anybody out there who who you can, through evidence-based argument, uh, say is biased, let us know and we'll hound them out. Uh, That's what we intend to do. Don't point at me, Chin. I'm not pointing at you. I was pointing at that uh, nice chair over there. Lovely chair at the breakfast bar. (laughs) At setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Genuinely, do do get in touch. And in the new year, um, we'll uh, bring some of those together and um, disagree with them. On the next show, we'll be talking about how it's often a two-way street between the media and football. You scratch my back and yes I will scratch yours Uh, more tortured metaphors coming up Uh, please do subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Andy to Rory and to Steve and to you all for listening and a very Merry Christmas from us all we'll be back with part two of our conversation about the media on set piece menu very soon indeed I think I probably am biased towards Napoli if I'm completely honest at the moment I'm biased towards Napoli are we having a confessional yeah who, who, so you particularly like Napoli, Chinch? Who's your like the player that you perhaps or tip? No, you don't. You just really don't care. No. You're a terrible. No, I do example. care. I do care. You care about everybody but equally. I, 
I, there's, there's merit in everybody and everything in the whole wide world. <laughs> I feel I'm, like the Christmas carol is being sung. I'm biased towards entertainment. So mm. Napoli is a good example. If, if a team is entertaining me and creating something beautiful... And and that is in itself a good story. Then that's you want, that's no that's you a want positive to win, bias, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I think that's probably all right. I'm trying to think of a player that I I'm an apologist for. Gael Givé. I've always I've always liked. <laughs> I used to vote for Gael Givé for Footballer of the Year. <laughs> football writers, Footballer football of the Year. Writer, you weren't a player. No, I wasn't a player. No. That, that would be a sudden scandal, wouldn't it, if we found out that Rory Rory has been voting on Footballer of the Year for the last for twenty just years, for sneaking Gale. into sneaking into dressing rooms all over the country, the, uh, casting his vote. If, 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 I, if I ever get the the, if I, I probably won't, but if I ever got the to Henry Winters got the British vote for World Footballer of the Year and I'm, I can't, I think Grant Wall's probably got the American one if I ever get one of those two I'm voting for Daniel Givet that's my <laughs> I, I was always very fond of Glauber Bertie Glauber Bertie didn't he came off the bench once once right at the end of the season was he was it? named as a substitute pretty much every single game <laughs> and eventually came on we wondered if he was actually a real footballer and he eventually came on and I think it was the last or second last game of the yeah. season and I cannot remember a more rapturous reception for a complete uh, under underappreciated footballer but he was, was he not just was he Alano's mate that was or Rubinho's yeah, mate he had his what, boots what on the wrong feet he had no idea what being a footballer was and it's just something about his name Glauber yeah, Bertie what's that round thing ah Oh, he no was idea. Brazilian, but sounded like he might have been from South Yorkshire. Glauber, <laughs> Glauber Bertie. Yeah. Have you seen old Glauber Bertie? <laughs> he's Bertie, but he's a bit Where's Glauber. he now? Where is he now?